0: Welcome to another episode of Down Ballot Counts. I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor at Bloomberg Government, and with me as always is senior reporter Greg Giroux. It's Monday, October 5th. We are four weeks out from election day. As of this morning, the president of the United States is in the hospital battling COVID-19. We sincerely hope it's looking good for Trump in there. It's not looking good for him in the polls. We're going to discuss the crazy week in politics we just experienced and what it means for the November elections. After that, we'll break down an ad airing in Colorado. We were there with 99% of the precincts counted. Number of other key down-ballot races. This is a very dramatic turn. We will have to look.
1: House will be in order. Chair requests that members clear the aisle, take seats, and cease audible conversation.
0: From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts.
1: Up first is Giroux's Gem. Jero's Gem, my number of the week is 10. There have been just 10 black U.S. Senators in history. 150 years ago during Reconstruction, Mississippi Republican Hiram Revels became the first black senator after he was elected by the state legislature. It wasn't until 1966, though, with Massachusetts Republican Edward Brooke, that the first black senator was elected by popular vote. There are three black senators currently serving South Carolina Republican Tim Scott, New Jersey Democrat Cory Booker, and California Democrat Kamala Harris who is the Democratic nominee for vice president, and who would be the first Black person or woman to serve in that office. Booker is favored to win re-election next month. Scott is up for re-election in 2022, when Harris's seat will also be on the ballot. Leading Black candidates for the Senate include Jamie Harrison, a former South Carolina Democratic Party chairman, who's running a very close race against Republican Senator Lindsey Graham. Michigan Republican John James is in a competitive race against Democratic Senator Gary Peters. And Georgia Democrat Raphael Warnock, an Atlanta pastor, is the party's preferred candidate for the seat Republican Senator Kelly Loeffler is defending. That special election almost certainly will be decided in a January runoff. Mississippi Democrat Mike Espy, a former Congressman and Agriculture Secretary, is opposing Republican Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith in a rematch of a 2018 race that Espy lost by seven points. I'd also note that Louisiana Democrat Adrian Perkins, who's the mayor of Shreveport, is opposing Republican Senator Bill Cassidy, And Tennessee Democrat Marquita Bradshaw is the Democratic nominee for an open Senate seat. Republicans are favored to hold both seats. And
0: that, ladies and gentlemen, is your
1: Jerome's gem for this week.
0: All right. Up next, we'll discuss the week that was. This is Bloomberg Governments. Down ballot counts. Okay. here is what happened last week. Saturday, September 26th, Trump announces in the Rose Garden that he's nominated Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. On Monday, the New York Times reports that Donald Trump paid $750 in taxes his first year in office. And video was released of Trump's former campaign manager, Brad Parscale, being detained by police. On Tuesday, Trump and Joe Biden engaged in what one Republican senator described as a show. On Thursday, Bloomberg News reporter Jennifer Jacobs reported that top Trump aide Hope Hicks had tested positive for COVID-19. And Trump attended a fundraiser that night in New Jersey. Early Friday morning, Trump announces he and the First Lady have tested positive, followed over the next day by the news that so had three Republican senators, Trump's campaign manager Bill Stepien, Chris Christie, Kellyanne Conway, and more. Sunday morning, we got to see the NBC News Wall Street Journal poll conducted over the two days following the debate and have found Biden up 14 points nationally, his largest lead in the poll yet. Greg, our guest last week, Republican pollster... Glenn Bolger said Trump needed a strong debate performance and really a stumble from Joe Biden to make a dent in Biden's lead. Looks like the opposite happened. What does this mean for the GOP with four weeks to go?
1: That's right, Kyle. It wasn't a good debate for the president, according to the public opinion polls. And time is running out for him to turn things around as the debates are really the only rare opportunity for him to try and uh, reclaim or at least come back in the polls uh, with a big deficit against Joe Biden. You know, we analyze down ballot races here on the podcast and Republicans really do need a lift at the top of the ticket with Trump to boost their chances of holding the Senate. Looks like the House is out of range for the Republicans, but even there, the GOP is at risk of losing ground in the House. You know, like we've discussed on this program many times, there's a greater relationship between how people are voting for president, and how they're voting for Senate in the House. And the president, if he's trying to, uh, Trying to win reelection uh, and also try and save the Republican Senate majority really needs a, a much stronger performance than he showed in that
0: first debate. OK, here's a surprising fact for you. No one would have guessed at the start of the cycle. The closest Senate race in the country may be in South Carolina, where Quinnipiac University just last week released its third straight poll, finding Republican incumbent Lindsey Graham, who you just mentioned, and Democrat Jamie Harrison tied. And coincidentally, Graham is about to lead the judiciary hearings for Supreme Court nominee. How is this even a race, Greg?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting that this has become kind of the hottest race, one of the hottest races in the nation right now. Uh, That's not the only poll that has shown a close race between Lindsey Graham and Jamie Harrison. Um, I think it took me a while to kind of maybe believe in this race, but it's clearly the evidence is pretty strong now that this is a top race to watch. You know, I think that uh, Graham... Uh, Graham, first of all, does not have like he's not completely beloved by the Republican base in South Carolina. Uh, he had some middling opposition in the Republican primary, and he still lost about a third of the vote there. There's still a sizable block of conservative Republicans in South Carolina who consider Graham a so-called "rhino" R-I-N-O Republican in name only, because you know, for a lot of his career, he's had an image of a of a deal maker who's uh, someone who's broken rank with his party on issues like immigration. He voted for Sonia Sotomayor and for Elena Kagan Um, now, and he was a Trump critic, a a vociferous Trump critic, and now he's become a Trump ally. So he doesn't have the complete trust, I think 100% trust in the Republican Party in South Carolina. You know, South Carolina is changing, its demographics are changing, and Harrison is going to try and win an overwhelming share of the African-American vote in South Carolina, maybe pick off some, you know, a bigger share of the white suburban vote in South Carolina and hope for a depressed vote among conservative Republicans who don't like Graham. They won't be voting for Jamie Harrison, but maybe a lot of these socially conservative Republicans who don't care for Graham, uh, Harrison and Democrats would like them to stay home rather than
0: vote for Graham. Another place we might see that, um, if we stay in the Carolinas, is North Carolina. Um, It also was not immune to the wild week that was. Uh, Greg, take us through what happened there.
1: It was a really wild week in North Carolina, Kyle. You know, Truth can be stranger than fiction in some of these political contests. So uh, last Thursday, Senator Tom Tillis and Democratic challenger Cal Cunningham had their third debate in 18 days. Uh, then Senator Tillis announced Friday night that he had tested positive for coronavirus. And then shortly thereafter, you saw a story break about Cal Cunningham's intimate text messages that the married candidate sent to a woman who was not his wife. And Republicans have brought this up mainly in the context of saying that it might violate the military code of conduct uh, because Cunningham's military service is part and parcel of his campaign message in his biography, something he's emphasizing very heavily. I'm not sure how much this will really affect the campaign. You know, extramarital texting and affairs are not exactly rare, uh, but he does need to worry, I think, about the risk of dampening voter enthusiasm for his candidacy and changing the subject away from, you know, the Cunningham campaign's core messaging. And Senator Tillis, having tested positive, will obviously have to quarantine for some time. Uh, no one's really doing a whole lot of in-person campaigning; We're seeing a lot of uh, campaigning uh, virtually, and obviously television ads are commonplace. But you know, Senator Tillis will be uh, can't really actively campaign for some time
0: while he's uh, after testing positive. And this is a state, as we've talked about before, uh, is a battleground at the presidential level, uh, at the gubernatorial level. Um, Trump was just there, I think a few times just last month. Um, And it's a state where Biden's only leading by half a point in the Real Clear Politics polling average, and yet Cunningham is up by six. So it's one of those states where the Democratic Senate candidate is actually running ahead of Biden. And we'll likely see that in South Carolina uh, as well. Okay. Okay. This doesn't pertain to next month's election, but about an hour ago, Republican Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania announced he won't seek re-election in 2022. He's also not going to run for governor. What's this mean for the next Senate majority fight, Greg? Can we talk about that yet? Yeah.
1: Well, I love it, Kyle. The political junkie in me loves it when two-year political cycles bleed into each other. And we're already having news about the 2022 Senate map uh, before we even close the book on 2020. And so this has implications for the next cycle Senate elections. In 2022, you have 34 Senate races on the ballot, 22 currently held by Republicans, including seats in Arizona and Georgia that have special elections next month. Now, Trump won all of those states, but five of those states, including Pennsylvania, voted for Barack Obama in 2012. And so this is not going to be an easy retention uh, for the Republicans in 2022 without incumbent Toomey on the ballot. He was narrowly reelected in 2016 when Trump narrowly carried Pennsylvania But even if Joe Biden is elected president and Republicans run as the opposition party in a 2022 midterm, this is going to be a very difficult hold uh, for the Republicans.
0: Yeah, it's got to be one of their most vulnerable seats next cycle. There's also an open seat race for governor. So there is going to be a lot of pent up ambition in that state with places for it to go. Um, I think we'll probably see some current members of Congress, some former members of Congress uh, running for one uh, of those seats. Um, you've got the attorney general, a state treasurer there. They're both Democrats. So there's going to be a lot of action in Pennsylvania again. All right, we'll have to leave it there. But up next, we're heading to Colorado. Cory Gardner said, I will vote 100% of the time with the people of Colorado. But what did Cory
1: do? You're going to help us get... Cory Gardner across that line because he's been with us a hundred percent. Giving trillions in tax breaks to corporations and the wealthy and trying to eliminate
0: protections for pre-existing conditions. Cory Gardner. He's
1: been with us a hundred percent.
0: Working for Trump, not Colorado. That was an ad from Senate Majority PAC, the super PAC aligned with Democratic leadership. It's looking to unseat first-term Republican Senator Cory Gardner in Colorado. Greg, what'd you hear? Yeah, so the Senate
1: race where you might see the most anti-Trump messaging may be in Colorado, where Gardner is just one of two Republican senators from states Trump lost in 2016, Susan Collins of Maine being the other. Trump lost Colorado by five points in 2016 and is likely to lose there by a wider margin on November the 3rd. And, you know, he's an albatross around the neck of Gardner who will need a hefty amount of ticket-splitting Biden voters to win re-election against former Democratic Governor John Hickenlooper, who's had a consistent lead in the polls. So the ad begins with a clip from Gardner six years ago when he unseated Democratic Senator Mark Udall, and that ad juxtaposes that clip with one of Trump from February saying that Gardner has been with us 100% of the time. That's not a message that Gardner has emphasized as of late, including at a debate on Friday when he touted bipartisan accomplishments like a conservation measure known as the Great American Outdoors Act. But Gardner has a conservative pro-Trump voting record that's very hard to run for re-election on in that state and in this political environment. For Senate Republicans, 2020 is not 2014. Colorado in 2014 was one of the states that delivered Republicans the Senate majority. In 2020, it may be one of the states that delivers Democrats a Senate majority. We'll know in about 29 days
0: Yeah, and six years ago, Gardner's late decision to run for the Senate, he he ended up changing his mind, um, and that really changed that race. It put it on the map, and I'd argue Hickenlooper uh, doing the same this cycle after dropping out of the presidential race didn't put this one on the map. It was already firmly on the map, but it made it a lot harder for Gardner to win re-election. Okay, before we close the show, we've got a parting shot of trivia for you. This is Down by the Counts.
1: It's trivia time on Down Ballot Counts. Each week I try to stump Kyle and you, our listeners, with a political trivia question. Let's first review last week's question and answer. And I asked about how many current senators have cast a vote on every current Supreme Court justice's confirmation. So for this question, you need to know the longest serving Supreme Court justice. That's Clarence Thomas, who was. Uh, confirmed in 1991, but you also need to know how many senators today were also senators in 1991. It's a small number, but what is that number? And on a Bloomberg government Twitter poll, I gave you the choices of three, four, five, or six. And now it's time to ask Kyle, how many current US senators have cast a vote on every current Supreme Court Justice's confirmation?
0: All right. So I went through the list of senators. I did not look up when they were elected, but I got the number five. Okay. Good guess, but the answer is four. Uh, there are four uh.
1: senators who were senators in 1991. Pat Leahy, a Democrat from Vermont, Chuck Grassley, an Iowa Republican, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader from Kentucky, and Richard Shelby, who is a Alabama Republican. Those are the only four senators who were in the Senate at the time Clarence Thomas was confirmed in 1991. And now for this week's question. Democrats need a net gain of three or four seats to win control of the Senate, as we've discussed before. How many Senate seats did Democrats pick up from Republicans in 2006, the last year Democrats wrested control of the Senate from the GOP? You may email your answer to bgovpodcast at bgov.com or tweet it at us using the Bloomberg government Twitter handle at bgov and use the hashtag downballotpod. We will post this, the question this week as a Twitter poll I will give the answer and ask a new question on the next episode of
0: Down Ballot Counts. I'm definitely getting that one right. That's it for us today. Before we go, Greg, what else are you watching this week? Kyle, we are tantalizingly closer to election day and the voter
1: registration period is closing in some states. Look for more candidates to disclose and brandish how many how much money they raised in this year's third quarter. Those actual reports are due October the 15th. And I've tallied more than 2 dozen candidate debates this week alone including at least seven tonight, Monday, October the 5th, as we speak. I'm looking at one in Illinois' 13th district between Republican Congressman Rodney Davis and Democratic challenger Betsy Dirksen-Londrigan, a rematch race from 2018. And Tuesday brings a debate between Arizona Senator Martha McSally and Democratic challenger Mark Kelly in a must-win race for the Democrats seeking a Senate majority.
0: For much more on candidate debates, Please feel free to follow me on Twitter at Greg Giroux. I'll note here that Michael Bloomberg, the majority owner of Bloomberg Government's parent company, sought the Democratic presidential nomination. He endorsed Joe Biden on March 4th. Down Ballot Counts was produced by David Schultz. You can follow us on Twitter at Kyle Trigstad and at Greg Giroux. And be sure to check out all the great politics coverage on Bloomberg Government's website about.bgov.com. We'll talk to you next week. Taxes and accounting are complicated. But finding a good tax podcast shouldn't be. I'm Siri
1: Belusu. And I'm Amanda Icone. Listen to Talking Tax, the podcast that breaks down all of these issues on a weekly basis.
0: Every Thursday, Talking Tax will explain the latest issues for you. From what Congress is working on, to legal rulings, to the global
1: digital tax debate. Download and subscribe to Talking Tax wherever you get your podcasts.